Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host, David Bernstein. Today, we have got Xander Keg with us. He is a frequent guest. It's good to see you again, Xander. Uh, Xander, he is has his consulting company or consulting organization company, would you call it a company? Business, Group. I guess. Business. Yeah. Uh, K Consulting. And we also have with us today his friend, Matt Watson. And so Matt and Xander are working together. Matt is also a licensed social worker. Matt works with the Church of Latter-day Saints. So you guys have got some collaboration going on here that we need to know a little bit about. But before that, what did we bring uh, to drink for this conversation? Xander, did you bring anything to the table? Absolutely. Today, I brought a grapefruit rattler which is for people who are unfamiliar, a Radler is the German name for cyclist. And what it is, it's a 50-50 beer and grapefruit juice drink that's good for the heat of the summer when you're cycling around the countryside. That's awesome. And it's very, it's like 90 degrees here and and humid in in Orlando. So I'm drinking my Radler. (laughs) Matt, Matt, what did you bring to the table? Well, I uh, bring to the table a little uh, guava nectar. Um, as a as a young uh, missionary uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I served in Mexico and developed quite a little affinity for guava, for guava nectar. So, so that's what I've got today, and a little bit of living water as well. So, uh, so I'm I'm ready to roll. That is okay. Well, you're first with your guava nectar. I like there that. There you go. <laughs> David, you? I've got another first coming your way. This is a hard ice pina colada because it is 97 degrees right now in the DC area. So I'm going with uh, I'm going with ice here. Whoa, oh, but is it alcoholic? Oh yeah. It, it is, is um, 6.8%. And you can get those in the store? I got them in and on my way back from the mountains of Pennsylvania into Maryland. So I don't know if I could get them here, but I could get them where I was way out there. That looks awesome. It's really tasty. Okay. Well, I'm doing something a little different too. I, um, same alcohol as I used before, but I made a root beer float with Mm. whipped cream vodka, which I think Xander, we've talked about my whipped cream vodka before, but now it's root beer and half and half. So it's a root beer float. Yum. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, Xander and I have, have, have laughed about how it's a good thing we didn't have flavored vodka when we were in high school. So, okay, with that said, Xander, take us away with what you and Matt are working on together in your world of social work and um, belonging and all these good things. Absolutely. So let's just jump right in. So Matt and I met, it's probably been at least two years, a little bit longer. Now, we met through a professional um, 
online community for social workers. So it's a, you know, like a bulletin board or a listserv where people can go in and post questions and ask for advice or maybe just start a discussion. And so there were a couple of uh, postings that came up within this environment that uh, we were both contributing to. Um, so somebody posed the question around um, can you be a social worker and a Christian? I think there was another person posed a question about, can you be a social worker and conservative? And I'd say the majority of the responses, at least initially, were absolutely not, <laughs> right? There was a sense in which being a Christian and being a social worker, being a conservative, perhaps politically uh, conservative and a social worker, was antithetical to the profession of social work was I think in some cases, people even mentioned that it might be in violation of our code of ethics as social workers, which it's not, um, but I th those were the general sentiments. And so there was a lot of back and forth and um, Matt and I were participating in that. And I, I would think that most people would assume that maybe Matt and I were arguing with each other or coming from very different points of view because, you know, I'm a trans man um, and I'm, um, you know, I, I do that, you know, work within the community. Um, and, you know, Matt is with the, you know, LDS church, he's a Mormon. And somehow that would make us like mortal enemies of each other. And it turns out that we're not mortal enemies. And we have found quite a nice uh, way to collaborate and work together. And I believe the reason that we started working together more directly is because um, Matt was approached by um, a publishing company to publish a book made up of uh, stories or essays from social workers who take a different stance than what was being projected through these ongoing discussions about, can you be conservative? Can you be a Christian? and be a social worker. Am I correct, Matt? That's, that's, I think that's what brought us formally together. Correct, correct. We uh, uh, come from, from different backgrounds. We're in many ways a little bit of an odd couple, but uh, as we have, uh, have you know, just walked our, our paths together of, of seeking diversity and specifically viewpoint diversity and inviting uh, different viewpoints and, and different perspectives um, we've just kind of evolved and uh, developed this, uh, this great friendship and uh, certainly appreciate uh, what Xander has shared. Um, the, uh, the, you know, over time, uh, the more we've, we've talked about it, the, the more interest uh, it's developed from other social workers. And we have a number of contributors who are, who are working with us to, to just promote that uh, viewpoint diversity through this project and hopefully through a published book. Well, I, I think that what a lot of people would assume is they're like, oh, Xander, he's a trans man. He must be a lefty. And oh, Matt, you know, he's a Mormon. He must be a right winger. And it turns out that we're both moderates. <laughs> and so that that's what brings us together is that that we're not polarized in our philosophy, in our politics, and our social um, you know, beliefs. And that's why even though we share very different religious backgrounds um, and, and affiliations, we're able to work together. In the true spirit of social work, I believe, because we're meeting each other where we are and uh, we're grounded in the principles of working toward making um, 
the world better for people so that everybody, at least as many people as possible, have access to information and resources and, and whatever it is that they're seeking. And so I, I think if we are inclusive, more inclusive of divergent views among social workers, then that makes most sense because we're working with clients who have very differing views from us. Absolutely. And we would not work with them because they have divergent views. Although I think during the Trump administration, there might have been some social workers who felt compelled to maybe stop working with certain clients. I would imagine that came up for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Things have really uh, obviously escalated over the, the last few years. And um, and so there's there's, you know, certainly been a few hiccups along the way and a, a, a few challenges with with regards to the project. But it's but it's always continued. It's uh, it's it's always continued. And I think one of the things that it's helped us to do is to become more fluent in a language that may not necessarily be our our personal um uh, native language, if you will, uh, what ideological language, if you will. Um, so, so you know, for if uh, if somebody who leans conservative in some in some arenas can can articulate and not develop a a, a straw man argument, but develop a, a steel man argument and 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 accurately articulate and appreciate uh, the perspective of somebody who has a different view, it just naturally facilitates uh, relationships. And helps us uh, build bridges with the, with each other, and and that uh, ultimately is is uh, what uh, what Xander and I have have uh, personally experienced of being able to to just recognize and appreciate those differences. I yeah. think also through the book process, we've received multiple chapters mm -hmm. already, and you know it's amazing all the different topics that are going to be included in this book. I think people are going to. I think they'll be surprised. I think they'll they'll learn a lot about, you know, the different ways in which social workers apply the principles of social work and the different populations we work with and the different settings in which we work. Um, and that our our lived experience coupled with our education um, really does determine a lot about the kind of social work we're going to do and from what perspective or what philo philosophical you know, um, field that we're going to be doing that from. First of all, it's wonderful that you two collaborate and it's fascinating when people from different ideological perspectives come together and can find synergy and learn from each other and enhance an entire field. That's great. Um, we're in a very interesting ideological moment. Um, healthcare and social work, by all accounts, have not been spared. Um, there's woke social work now. I was just listening to Barry Weiss interview Katie Herzog about her work in the medical community, medical community how certain doctors will, will give preferential treatment to minorities in hospitals and so forth, and they're applying sort of an equity standard there. Um, I'm wondering to what degree you're seeing that, you're both seeing that in social work. How much has social work been infected by these latest ideological fads? Well, I'll just uh, respond with a, with a few things. Um, uh, so, some folks who have, um, who have preferred not to be direct contributors um, are, are, are continuing to contribute and stay involved by sharing experiences. And so uh, we, uh, just, just for an example, um, 
faculty from a, a social work program uh, just reached out uh, to me and I, we've, we've maintained some, some contact where the, the faculty member uh, just experienced um, clear ideological uh, leaning in a, in a faculty meeting where, where she, her beliefs and, and others were, were just blatantly disparaged. And she, uh, she, she just had to, she just felt like she had to be silenced. She, she just had to be quiet. And, but, um, but her credit, I mean, she's a social worker. She, she's a real social worker. And so she, she appropriately uh, spoke to uh, her faculty member, uh, spoke with others and has had a few reach out to, to a, a few reach out and asked to, to connect with her and expressed appreciation and, and some awareness and sensitivity to to those kind to, to to her perspectives and 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 so forth and so I think it it just I think we do need to 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 stand and be able to sit, uh, articulate clearly and respectfully uh, different positions and uh, part of the challenges that we have with with some of the different ideologies that are being put forward right now is that they um, uh, sometimes, to me, as, as a as a per person of faith, it it reminds me of my own faith, it not not specifically, but it reminds me of a faith rather than my own faith, if you will. That there are things that that um, that wouldn't make sense to to somebody else, and and you know can can oftentimes be challenged, and you know, and and my faith, I'm, I hope that my faith gets challenged and, and that people will ask me about it and, and challenge me on, you know, different things or show curiosity to it. But it doesn't seem like we're in an, uh, an arena right now where you can challenge some of the ideas and the, the, the perspectives that are being uh, put forth at, at this point in time. So, so she, she shared uh, examples, uh, you know, some examples of that in her response, which I thought was great. Um, others have talked about, uh, you know, one, one example is a, a young social work student uh, got, got their degree and, and at the end of her degree, she just said, I'm not gonna, I, I can't buy into this. I can't, I, I can't do this. So I may practice for a few years and then I'm gonna go do, you know, I'm gonna go into education or, or do something different because I can in good faith um, uh, espouse some of these things that my, you know, that, that I, that have, that have been inculcated to me. Um, another contributor, uh, just uh, uh, his particular, um, fairly young uh, social worker, he's going to talk, his, his article or his, his chapter is about, um, is about differentiating indoctrination uh, social work, social work education, and social work indoctrination, and that there is a difference, and that there's a difference between uh, social work and ideological work. There's a difference between social work and uh, political work, and so definitely uh, you're you're seeing in in a number of arenas that um, that you know specific ideologies are infiltrating and and uh, becoming a mainstream. Um, and what was previously considered mainstream is is uh, mainstream social work is is certainly uh, being being challenged right now. So we just talked with Lyle Asher, who gave us a little bit of a preview or a background, if you will, sorry, of 
of ed schools and how ed schools have uh, really seeped with ideology and a particular ideology. And we've seen that then transfer into like the school system and then into higher ed. Do you think that there is a certain, because Xander, you started out by saying that there was even a question of whether or not being of a different viewpoint violated, being conservative violated the code of ethics. Do you see like in the education of social work, is has there become a new kind of ideology seep through that in some ways you might say indoctrinates the education or the well, the education, yes, but the social work landscape. I think there's so much that goes into it. Um, I can recall in my own uh, MSW program or Master of Social Work program that, you know, students could take classroom discussions in a certain direction, and typically the professors would intermediate, right? And they would they would bring in uh, real-world experiences versus perhaps we were discussing, you know, potential circumstances, right? They would bring in their, their experience of years and years and years in the field versus our brand new experience. And so we also had different ages of people in our classes and a lot, there were several of us who were military veterans and some were parents and some were like first generation from like Ethiopia, right? So we had all this variety, all this diversity in our classes. And so that helped that helped to lend itself to opening up the discussions more. But there are some people who are going to social work programs where there's a bit more um, homogeneity among the student group. And so they, there, there may be some, some diverse um, thoughts there, diverse experiences, but there may not be as much room or permission you know, or allowances made for that. I feel like it was in my classes, I had allowance for that and people spoke up. I don't know if there were people who didn't also speak up. It's hard to know, but I never really got the impression in any of my classes that our professors were really pushing forward this indoctrination thing. However, I did graduate in 2012 and um, it could have been happening in other places, but I, I think I got out right before it really kind of, proliferated around the country. I think what, what a lot of people don't know about social work is that it's very versatile, right? There are licensed clinical social workers who work in independent practice that practice completely on their own. There are social workers who work in the K through 12 school systems. There are social workers who work in hospitals. There are social workers that work in jails, right? You can do social work in a lot of different environments. And those environments are going to contribute to the kind of you know, sentiments that are being expressed and the general opinions about things. And we're also working across the whole country. So if you have people who are working in more affluent areas versus more impoverished areas, rural versus urban, you're going to have people who are um, advancing, you know, different ideas um, and making certain resources available to certain populations in their area, because that's the, I mean, that's the foundation of social work too, is we work with people who are poor, people who are marginalized, and people who are oppressed. And that's not just one group of people, right? Depending on where you are in the country, that those people are going to look very differently. And so it, it it's not going to work to apply the work that we did in say Atlanta, Georgia, and then go over to say Moscow, Indi Idaho, it's not gonna work, right? It's a completely different set of 
of poor people with different issues, different needs, different uh, resources available in their community. So if, if somebody is formulating their opinions and their ideas and they're, they're advocating certain things from their so, solo perspective and experience and they haven't really moved around the country or moved around in social work, they're gonna be really limited, but they're not gonna know that, right? They're, they're gonna think that the social workers everywhere else are seeing the same thing they're seeing and they're having the same frustrations and the same lack of resources and it's not going to be necessarily true. So it's like just we have to sort of open our eyes um, and open up the eyes of our colleagues to say it's different. Social work is different depending on where you're practicing and with whom you're practicing and in what context or setting you're practicing. I think we're, we're in to, to the degree that we become um, ideological homogenous or orthodox in our in our approach we are creating a very small tent uh, within which social workers can, can inhabit, can, can work, can operate. But again, if we go back to that, that kind of that paradigm of language, if we become fluent in many different uh, moral foundations, many different uh, uh, viewpoints, then we'll be able to engage more effectively. And so is there, is there would it be important for, for me to understand and be aware of of David, as you mentioned, woke ideology or, or um, you know, di different theories. Well, absolutely, uh, because those things are going to to speak to other people. And so, have I have I explored them? Have I looked at them? Absolutely. Do I know what they? You know, is it my 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 first language? Well, well, of course not. But but I can have an appreciation for it. And instead of taking it, you know, social work historically. Uh, advocates uh, appropriately for for the oppressed, for the marginalized. Um, but if we see the lens through, if we see the world through a lens of oppression, we're going to find oppression. We're going to we're going to look what we look for. We are ultimately going to find. And if we're if we're if we're constantly looking for that, it can create its own its own challenges. And so again, I think if we if we recognize that that those things, there are some things that. Uh, there are some some truths in some of those ideologies, and and, and uh, we can try and find those truths. We can find some common ground. Um, great, I think that's that's at the heart of social work. Um, some of our contributors uh, are, are quite good at uh, at building bridges with with people who are a social work bridge to a to a conservative legislator, and they essentially have have developed some credibility by building that bridge, so that when an issue comes up, the legislator knows who to turn to for, for perspective. Do we want to really just cut off and, and, uh, and cancel uh, uh, different political ideologies because we disagree with them or do we want to find ways to work together? And ultimately, I think if, if social work can cease to be primarily political work, that there is room for political work in social work, but, but it's much different. Social work is different than, than political work. Um, it's not um, exclusively political. It does include political work, but it's much more broad than that. Um, it's much more broad than ideological work. Um, it, it's much more broad than than uh, than a than a than a faith tradition or or anything like that. So, so I think there's just the important thing there is that we just recognize that there's room in the tent, and that's our hope is that we can maintain some openness, some ideological openness, some some. Uh, some differences of perspective, a viewpoint, promoting viewpoint and political diversity 
uh, in our in our work together. There's you know there's there's this like, concept of um, you know having either a prescriptive or an elicitive approach to an issue, right? And so if if we if we walk into the room with a client or we go if you know if we're in the community and doing community organizing and we walk into a room full of people that are disenfranchised and we say to them, okay, I'm here, I'm the boss, I know everything, and here's what you need to do. We're being prescriptive. We're, we're basically saying, we know what's wrong and we know how to fix it. And if you just do what we tell you, then everything's gonna be okay. Well, that doesn't tend to work very well. And we're, it's not gonna be very successful for us if we're working with our clients that way. Well, it's not gonna work all there either working with our colleagues that way, right? The elicitive approach is walking into a room or, or entering into a dialogue and saying, What's going on here? What would you like to see happen differently? What are the different resources available to make these changes? Who's involved in making these changes? How are people impacted by it? What are your thoughts on it? What would you like to contribute? Right, you're, you're asking from people, not just telling them. So I find that when I'm working with social workers who, who believe that social workers are social justice workers, right? They're, they are more ideological and they're more prescriptive in that they think they have the right answer for every solution and they just need to apply it and everybody just needs to comply with that application. And I, I it just doesn't work. Uh, it might work short term because people may feel like they're forced to comply or they're conflict avoidant, um, but in the long run, those things aren't going to work. That's more of a conflict-based way of handling um, handling a situation versus a consensus-based way, right? So we, there's all these different models out there that we can learn. We learn about different models in our social work school training because one model doesn't work in every setting for every person, for every situation, right? Yeah, it's like so medicine, right? It's like there's different medicines for the same condition because they impact each person's body differently and each body res responds to certain medications differently. Right. It's like we have a we have a way that we treat people as well. We call it we write treatment plans. We work with people in that medical context in a lot of way, even if we're not in a medical setting. You know, do you feel that people in the social work field in general have the ability to fight back against this ideology? I mean, I know you just gave an example where somebody did. But to what degree do you feel people have that? ability to say, I'm sorry, social work starts with meeting people where they are, understanding where a community is and how they see the situation, not in prescribing an ideology. To what degree could you say that in most settings? And to what degree would you get immediately um, elicit immediate backlash if you did that? I'll just speak for myself. Um, uh, among social workers, my experience as you know, I mean, you're, you're looking at me, you're, you're, you can certainly make some assumptions about, you know, about me and, and, and privilege and all those kinds of things. When, when you know, being white and, and cisgendered and, and straight and, you know, Christian and, and all those kinds of things, you, you, you can make a lot of assumptions about me. Um, but my experience has been that when I respectfully articulate my thoughts, my beliefs, and my position, it's generally gone quite well. 
um, especially at the beginning of this of the of this process um, of this of this journey together. Uh, recently, um, uh, when, you know, when I when I spoke up in that same forum, you know, I did get just you know somebody who's a student. Um, uh, and so I don't know to what degree, what her life experiences. I just, I would assume that she's fairly, fairly, um, inexperienced, uh, just lambasted me with all of the, with all of the labels of, you know, patriarchy and, and white and, you know, all the, all the things that they came on and came on and, and it was, and I just, I just didn't say much more. Um, but it was interesting to see how how relatively compared to a few years ago when when this project started, there were very few who said anything to her or said, "Hey, that's you know that's that's out of line. There's no room for that. There's there's no <clears throat> there's there's uh, that's not that's not social work." Um, and and so recently, I think uh, just in, I'm just using one arena. Um, as an example, it, it, it hasn't been well received. Xander and I, when we presented in, uh, in, in March, uh, in that forum that we, that we referenced there, they're in Texas. Uh, we did a little survey uh, about the, the, the ideological, you know, the, the political leanings and, and so forth. Of course, the majority lean left and, and but, but the feedback was, exclusively positive. There were very few negative critical thoughts and or critical responses um, to our presentation where we talked about some of these differences and having viewpoint ideological, you know, diversity, political diversity in, in social work. And so my experience has been fairly favorable if we will speak up. Um, we're not probably going to be given uh, you know, nobody's going to give us a, a walk in the park, but if we, as we continue to speak up and talk about our experiences, we've had a number of people continue to contribute and, and with very compelling experiences and, uh, and perspectives. So, so generally speaking, David, I think it's a great question. Um, rel you know, recently it hasn't been quite like it was, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when, when this started. But it has been, uh, it has been, you know, for me, surprisingly favorable. I, um, I have received backlash, um, but not from social workers. It's, it's like non-social workers who have taken the sharpest aim at me. But then there's, on the other side of it, um, there's, there's a time when I said something that I wouldn't have thought was at all controversial that raised a lot of red flags. And this was again on that, um, on that uh, same, same listserv where Matt and I first um, started interacting, which was, I was at the time working with almost exclusively men as my clients. And um, I know that, um, you know, men in social work, there's, it's a minority as far as social workers, we're like 15 to 20% of the occupation. And so I raised the issue. Um, I started a thread on asking other men who work primarily or exclusively with male clients, what that experience was like for them. And if they wanted to have this little community space where we could talk about being male social workers working with male clients. And um, 
I learned through the person who was like moderating the whole um, the whole uh, listserv that my um, my question, my my inquiry had been flagged as as inappropriate, and um, and was they were requesting that it be removed. And when the moderator or the owner, I think, came back to them and said, "No, there's nothing inappropriate about this, and we're not going to remove it. We're not going to censure this." Um, then the person went out on Twitter. She went out on Twitter and, you know, called me names like I was sexist, a misogynist, only because I wanted to talk with other male social workers about working with male clients. Um, and so, but we, we know that one, there are fewer men in social work and two, there's a lot of, you can go out and read um, research paper after research paper after article, you know, popular articles about how uh, men aren't men aren't engaging in therapy as much as women. Men aren't getting their needs met. There aren't there aren't enough services for men. So it's like, why wouldn't it be welcome to have men talking about this? Um, it 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 surprised me. I was I was um, I was not prepared for that kind of a reaction from within my own profession about that. I think as long as we don't get personal and and engage in personal attacks. Um, we're, we're, we, and we, we take a principled approach We're I think we're on, on pretty solid ground and most people I think would, would, uh, would agree. And, and I found that, you know, most, most can, can talk, but, you know, recently there was a, you know, in that same, uh, forum, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, where, where people just came out and flat out came after my, me as a person, as a person of faith, as a, as uh, my own faith and how, you know, my faith is, is antithetical to, uh, to, to social work. And again, I just kind of sat back and watched for a little bit. And, and I was just amazed that, that nobody would say, Hey, you know, th this is a, this is a group of, of people, you know, this, this, how, how does that align with the code of ethics, which is really interesting because when I, when I have appealed to the code of ethics, the social work code of ethics is very balanced. It it emphasizes it, 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 nowhere in that does it does it uh, emphasize uh, equality of outcome. It focuses on equality of opportunity, which is a little bit more in 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 today's uh, in today's climate. Equal opportunity is typically the the a right leaning principle. You know, equality of outcome is a little bit of a left leaning principle. Um, and, and, and in the, the code of ethics, it, it, there's a lot of things that, that really create a balancing, harmonizing tension. Um, social justice is, is in the social work code of ethics. It's, it's instantiated in there. And so it, it, it's, a, it's vital. But the code of ethics itself talks about how there's not one uh, social work value or principle that there's no hierarchy within it. There's not one that's considered above the other. And so there's times to, to take a social justice approach, but there are also other times to, to uh, engage the other elements of the code of ethics, the, the dignity and worth of the, of the individual, the, the importance of, of human relations, competence, integrity, service. Those other elements um, need to be emphasized, uh, not at the expense of social justice, but um, we don't necessarily need to privilege social justice at all times. Well, you know, the thing is, being being a person of faith and a social worker doesn't violate the code of ethics at all. But calling out another social worker 
for their religion and saying that it's it's you know antithetical to being a social worker or a code of ethics that is a direct violation of the code of ethics you're not allowed to attack a colleague or discharge a client or patient for any reason that has to do with sexual orientation or race or ethnicity or religious affiliation political beliefs like that's in that's in our code of ethics so so whomever was doing that in that setting that's a clear violation of the code of ethics you're not allowed to do that um, I think my 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 the, the point that I want want to might want to emphasize there is that um, social work is is it has become more ideological. It's moved away from its code of from its its ethical moorings, and these social workers who have who who take this 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 orthodox approach um, without challenging it, without exploring it, with you know creating a a space where it's a, a pseudo religion, if you will. Um, where it can't be asked, it can't be challenged. Um, it's uh, it's 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 just not created a, a, a real social work environment. It's creating a very small uh, small world in which uh, social workers can operate. Um, and and I, I just think that, like you said, uh, uh, that that when I've appealed to the code of ethics, it was amazing how many social workers um, turned around and said, "Hey, you're not practicing ethically." And I my response is, "Okay, help me with that." Talk to me, you know, challenge me on that. Let me know how to cite the code, help me see it. But uh, but we're not operating in a world right now where where many social workers are are rooted in those principles, um, in those those six uh, six principles I just mentioned. Yeah. So Jennifer had asked you about education schools. I know from friends of mine who are involved in sort of the mental health field that there's a lot of ongoing training, like there are in many fields, there's uh, continuing education, there are seminars. Um, and if you're in a social work setting, you're, if you work for a particular institution, you're probably getting some online seminar, particularly these days, once a week or once every two weeks. Um, what I've seen from some of that is quite alarming it it seems that that a lot of it is being done through a quote-unquote racial equity lens which means that it has been infused with a particular ideological perspective it sounds good to say racial equity lens but what it means is that they're using a particular understanding of racial equity to train everybody is do you see that i mean maybe it's just where i live or the the people I talk to are you seeing that in a lot of the training and education you're seeing or just am I just skewing this because of where I live? No, I, I would I would say definitely, David. Um, that is that is predominant, and and I think the you know and, and while it's possible, I'm, I'm not discarding that there may be some some benefits that come from that. The, the one of the concerns that I have is that there are multiple ways to approach racism. There is, there is more than one way to, to deal with uh, race, racist uh, conduct. And when we take what's currently being labeled as anti-racism and, um, and saying that as the only way to approach racism, I think we're compromising our effectiveness in engaging a multitude of approaches that can can promote uh, uh, ra racial equality and and, uh, and and improved outcomes for all of us. Um, so so I I would agree. I've, I've seen I have when you right now 
uh, to be honest with you, I cannot remember the last time I saw a race, uh, you know, a, 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 a training to address racism that wasn't um, CRT or anti-racism, um, the, the brand anti-racism, if you will, not the, well, you know what's happened with the hijacking of the term anti-racism, so. <clears throat> Do y'all think that um, you've had any loss of work because of your particular identities? So, or, you know, these labels that we're throwing around. So is it, was Xander from the transgender community, you know, Matt from the LDS community, are there any labels put on you where people might say, you know, I'm gonna pass and go with another mental health professional? For me, no, that's, <clears throat> I mean, my employer is, uh, you know, the, the, Your employer the is the church. The church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, so, you, so uh, but but I will say that there are a, a number of other people, and this is this is one of the reasons that I'm that I have I feel strongly that I um, can can assume the the degree of activity and involvement that I am because I feel well, I, and I've been told that I am on on more solid ground other people couldn't uh promote or take um the some of the stances that i have with without fear and concern for their employers some of our contributors have uh, have talked very much about that you know you're probably aware of of some of them um who who took a hit i mean 16 years in an organization is a stellar employee and to be to be, you know, driven out um, just because you won't, you know, worship um, in the way that you were being asked to worship, and and I, I mean that literally. I think I'm not using that term figuratively. I'm I'm using that term uh, deliberately. That that when you're you're asked to to kneel at a particular ideological altar in your employment, um, that's an interesting, you know, dilemma. And I and so so other people have certainly talked about, you know, the, the, the challenge that it is to, to stand up and to speak. And and I can I can see that in, in some of those those interactions. But for me personally, um, I, I have not personally experienced. it. Yeah, as a as a consultant, you know, I'm I'm not working for one employer. You know, I work for myself. And so I have. Uh, it wasn't very recently. It was within the last maybe six months. Um, there was one individual who wrote a very disparaging comment about me on Facebook. And two of the um, uh, groups that I was working for contacted me privately to question me about the sentiments that were expressed. And they weren't, they weren't like, oh my gosh, Xander, you know, did you see this? What a terrible thing somebody's saying about you. No, what they did is they asked me um, if it was true, right? Um, because I think because that's sort of, I think that's what people are asked to do, right? You're supposed to believe the person who says, you know, oh, Xander's transphobic, racist, and commits violence against the trans community. That's what a person said about me. And it's like, what? Like, that's the most ridiculous thing, but but because language terms have been hijacked, violence doesn't mean violence, and racist doesn't mean racist, right? In the way that that we 
have come to understand them up until today. So committing violence means that I said something maybe that somebody didn't like. That's what committing violence is. I, I caused harm to them personally because they didn't like what I said. I think that's probably what happened. It's been a number of years now. Um, and so, but there are three individuals in particular who have over the course of about three or four years, um, you know, made it part of their job to, to say disparaging things about me on social media. So what that means is that I stopped all my social media accounts, which limits my ability to, um, to reach out to new clients. And um, I, I do have a sense in the back of my mind every single day. Is today the day I get canceled? Is today the day I get canceled? It's like a constant. Um, it's a constant. And um, pe you know, people said to me, why don't you just go back? And I was working for the federal government where I, you know, I was basically protected or safe there. Why don't you go back and do that? And it's like, I really love what I'm doing. And I don't want to not be able to do it, but I do, I do think about the cost, but that doesn't stop me clearly because I'm doing this podcast and speaking about this topic now, but, but I know that it, that there are, that there could be consequences as a result. Yeah. You know, it seems to me that certain personalities have a much harder time accepting these orthodoxies than others. Uh, I heard Brett Weinstein interviewed at one point about what had happened at Evergreen College. And he was asked, well, why did you do what you do? And he said, I thought about this for months and I realized I really had no choice. I am I am made up, that's who I am. I have no choice but to be authentic to my own perspectives. And it's it's interesting. Um, my my wife is very into uh, um, the Myers Briggs, and uh, she's on these Facebook groups. And she found and she's an INTJ, which is a very rare type for for women in particular. And found that almost everyone on the INTJ uh, Facebook group is anti woke. In other words, it may be that. And I'm 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 speaking to two social workers here, so I'm I'm looking for validation or or not. But um, you know that 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 maybe we're wired that to to have certain ideological views. Maybe we're wired to be more accepting of the status quo or more oppositional toward you know a set of ideologies. What is your? Do you have any insight into that? Well, I'll just say that you and I already had this conversation, and I am also INTJ. <laughs> right, that but is you right. know. <laughs> It's That's like right. I've always I've always been countercultural. Right. This is not new about me. You know, when I was when I was a young when I was a young girl. Right. Because I'm a trans man. When I was a young girl, I was very boyish. I was a tomboy. And that was countercultural for my my family. Right. For being an, in a Mexican family and and wanting to have little, you know, the girls be like feminine. Um, and then, you know, and then I became lesbian and that, and I was the type of lesbian that was really masculine. And that was really countercultural because I wasn't going with a particular, you know, stand, you know, status quo for what was supposed to be the right kind of lesbian. Um, and then I went into law enforcement and, you know, like, and I was vegan for a while. Like I've, I've all, I have this stream, um, of countercultural component to me so that when I transitioned and started living in the world, you know, as a man, 
um, I started to realize that a lot of the um, rhetoric and, and, and preconceived notions about men that I had internalized through society and through my involvement in lesbian community, I just found for the most part weren't true, that men have been quite wonderful and very, very nice and very welcoming and very kind and very nurturing, compassionate, um, not violent, <laughs> you know, like all these different notions about things. And so all of a sudden my counterculturalism, right, this strain within me to sort of go against the grain is that is that all of a sudden people started calling me a men's rights activist because I was working with men <laughs> and I was interested in how did mental health issues affect men? What did depression look like in men? What did anxiety look like in men? What did an eating disorder look like in men? Because most of the notions about mental illness that we that we think of are typically female, right? So, so it, it's it is just hardwired into me. It's just that it's just that if, for part of my life, my countercultural tendencies were in alignment with LGBT community, and now they're not mainstream there's lots of lgbt people who are heterodox but not the ones that you see primarily on like you know in social media and on the news and things like that so i you know there really is something about me that's just runs that way are you oppositional matthew as well what was that are you oppositional as well oh no no i'm uh i'm i'm a i'm a conformist if no well not exactly i i just kind of do my own thing i mean um, I am, I guess I'm a little bit oppositional. I'd sit in the back of my social work classes and raise, you know, controversial topics or push back on, you know, on some of the faculty or follow them into their office if they said something I, I thought was uh, problematic. And so, so I, I don't have a problem uh, standing up. I think that, um, um, you know, are we wired in, in a certain way? I, I do believe that our, our life experiences, and uh, sometimes the, the areas that we live in, there, there's so many factors that make up our, our humanity that, 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 that it's difficult to say. But, you know, Jonathan Haidt's work, I really like that, um, where he's, you know, identified the six moral foundations and, and identified how, how, you know, the people who lean left are, are heavy in the, the care and fairness foundations and, and people who lean right are have a fairly, you know, balanced in, in all six of those, uh, those moral foundations. Mm -hmm. And so I look at that and I think of, you know, what, what are the experiences that people have been through or that they've had? And it helps me have an appreciation for those differences that if they, if they have experienced oppression or injustice, they are more likely to, to, to emphasize care and fairness. And, um, and that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. And so it, it tells me that when I, you know, when I want to engage somebody um, uh, on the left, I need to emphasize those those two languages, if you will, where uh, if you're going to engage uh, conservatives, you, you better, you know, be, be fluent in in a variety of, uh, of those uh, those moral foundations. And and so, you know, when people I, I think in my own family, I look at, you know, or those that, that are around me, you can see those who are just more more attuned to authority, those who are more attuned to, um, to sanctity, those who are more attuned to, to liberty, those who are more attuned to, to, to loyalty and relationships. And so everybody has these different things. And I do believe that, um, that uh, those who lean towards the woke um, likely are very concerned about uh, historical injustices and uh, care and fairness and trying to, to 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 um, 
to restore, you know, some of those uh, those injustices. But um, I'm not sure that there are ways that, that the way that they're approaching it is necessarily effective. And so, so that's uh, I'm open to that if they can demonstrate effectiveness without it becoming uh, totalitarian and and um, and uh, orthodox. Then I would I would be uh, be willing to consider it. I just haven't I just haven't experienced that yet. How does social work play out at the Church of Latter Day Saints? The, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, Church of I, Jesus no, no, Christ it's, it's fine. It's um, it's inherent. I mean, it's it's part of me. Um, well, what what is what are the social work challenges that you face in the church? The specific challenges that you face in the church. Honestly, one of the the foundations is caring for the poor and the needy. Or you know that's historically. I think that they're working on a, a different you know term that that might not you know trigger some some diff, different folks. But um, but you know I work for a department that's that's called welfare, welfare and self reliance services. That's a department. There, there's not too many. There's only four you know primary departments in the church, four primary missions, and that's one of them. And so it's just natural. It's just part. Um, uh, Mormons were, were, if you don't mind me using that, well, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been driven from New York to Ohio to Missouri, finally to Salt Lake. I mean, you know, so we've experienced oppression. <laughs> my, it's in, you know, to, to some degree, it's in my, it's in my, my DNA, in my genes. But ultimately, we had to come together. We had to figure out what works. We had to recognize that that this is a, a fallen nation, but compared to what? You, can you find an, an, a nation where there's more, where there was more religious freedom, more, more liberty, more, uh, more pluralism anywhere else? No. Right. So, we, you know, so, so essentially social work is just part of, part of our DNA. It's part of, you know, figuring out how to work together. If you don't know, um, you know any any folks of my faith? Just go just go talk to them. If you see the guys wearing the, the black name tag or the 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 women wearing that, just go talk to them. They'd love to talk to you. You know they might try you know proselyte a little bit or that kind of a thing, but but it just kind of gives them an opportunity. I mean, it just gives you an opportunity to see that we are not necessarily um, uh, what would you call it isolationist. To the contrary. You know, we we had to isolate to survive, but now from you know now, now we we do humanitarian things uh, throughout the world. When hurricanes come to the southeast, you know you've got uh, just, we we just have natural ways of of, of activating uh, hundreds of people to go clean up neighborhoods and and those kinds of things. And uh, it, there's just, it's just part of our DNA to serve and to want to be a, uh, to make a difference in the lives of our fellow men. Now we, you know, social issues, um, uh, historically, you know, the, the, uh, the, the LGBTQ uh, questions have been, because, I mean, you, you look at those kinds of conflicts and those kinds of uh, controversies. Well, what's that about? Well, that's about kind of this focus on family. 
and and the sanctification or the this not sanctification it's the sanctity of the family and so when you're when you're introducing you know ways of of redefining family and redefining uh, a gender and those kinds of things that, that influence procreation and family and, you know, tr- you know, conservative sexual mores, those kinds of things. It's, you know, it's very traditional because the family is sacred and it's not that they're, they're being bigoted, that, that we're being bigoted. It's just that that's one of the areas that, that we've, uh, that uh, is part of our, our doctrine or dogma, if you will, is that the family is sacred, that the family is central to, uh, to, to the creator's plan for us. And, uh, and so, so, you know, when, when things start poking around with family and those kinds of things, then, you know, the, the, the church has taken some stances, but if you look, look now, what's the stance they're taking now, the stance they're taking now is, oh, you're, well, I won't speak for, for my church. I'll speak for myself. What I'm seeing happen is the civil war is over. All right. Um, Marriage is, is, the, is the law of the land. If you want to be pro-family, then let's be pro-family. Let's create families that are, are stable and helpful. And so there was a time when the church made a decision that, that, uh, that didn't want to mess with the family, but it, it was interpreted through the lens of, oh, you're, you're just a bunch of bigots. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, in, in an effort to try and honor the family over the church, it, it uh it got it got burned that way too. So anyway, we in a, in essence, uh, being a social worker and a Latter Day Saint, they are they are they're so compatible. It's just part of our DNA, and it's not just me. I think it's just part of our faith. It's very much uh, very much about trying to be helpful to other people. Well, and there's you know at Brigham Young University, there's a social work school of social work. There's a school of social work, Baptist schools, Catholic schools. I think a lot of people don't realize that there are people of faith who um, who go to schools, to universities that are that are built on or supported or foundational to their faith, and then they go out into the world and they work with people of their faith primarily. Um, and so that happens in all different faiths. It's like it, nobody's questioning if you can be Jewish and a social worker. Right. Why should they be questioning that? Um, the other thing is, I lived in Salt. You'd be a social a worker, and not be Jewish. That's, That's the true. question. <laughs> when I lived, at in least Salt in Lake my City, area, by the way, at least where I live. I know in New York. When I uh, lived in Salt Lake City, I was introduced to Deseret Industries, and I was blown away by talk about welfare and the and the means of of um, people having access to, you know, grocery stores and clothing and jobs and assistance with, you know, rent and utilities. Um, I've never seen an organization do more for its people. Um, And I remember when I was there, uh, President Reagan was in office and he came to Salt Lake City and he did a tour of Desert Industries. And he said, like, this is how we should do our welfare system as a nation. Right. Because in Deseret, you know, a lot of times what you do is you have to do some work and then they give you a little chit that you take to the grocery store and stock up on the food and take it home um, with no money being exchanged. But you were giving some work. Maybe you were, you know, mowing the lawn at the local ward or something. So I just I just thought it was really beautiful. Um, And this I was living there at the time when I was lesbian and um, I was in relationship with a woman whose brother was a bishop in the LDS church. And so. I, um, I I was very closely, you know, I was like one degree of separation. 
um, from that. But I just, I just, it doesn't really make sense to me that people would think that you can't be of a particular faith and be a social worker because they're not thinking about there's going to be social workers working in, um, you know, at Catholic universities, at Catholic schools, Catholic parishes, Catholic family services. There's going to be, you know, there's there, these these things, uh, these types of services exist. And so well, they're going to be in if they centers. try and shut down uh, social workers who are, who are people of faith, they're just going to shoot themselves in the foot. And unfortunately, that just happened at Karen, what is it, Karen College or Karen University or something? It's right outside of. Uh, Philadelphia, where they, they just closed down their social work program. Mm -hmm. And it was it was interesting on that same forum, we had some social workers who were saying, oh, let's write letters and tell them to keep it open. And then the next a few weeks later, it was like, you know, get rid of them. You know, they're they're Christians, then then get rid of them. So there's there's just kind of different perspectives that different people have about um, you know, faith faith traditions. And and I think. Um, if you want social work to be one conglomerate and kind of for it to be federalized, then you're, you're going to, you know, those who kind of lean, lean left that kind of see it, see it from a, a large uh, a communal kind of a, a perspective, that's much different. Where if, if you see that, you know, a social work, a lot of it happens within a family. Social work happens within a family. Social work happens within a within a neighborhood. Social work happens within a, within a faith community. So if we can learn how to read not just left to right, but right to left, left being kind of more, uh, uh, you know, federalist and, and large, you know, big government and, and right being more of an individual rights perspective. There's, there's multiple ways that you can do social work. There's just not one brand. And that, that applies to faith traditions as well. Uh, all faith traditions need, a, need social work because there are different things that happen to help, help us work well together. So before I let you guys go, because I'm almost done with my drink, I tell me a little bit more about this this book uh, viewpoint. I mean, this is something novel, right? I mean, you, has there ever been a book like this before where you are taking a collection of social workers and telling the stories from a viewpoint diverse perspective? There isn't. There we've there are other uh, elements of diversity, but uh, political diversity is late to the game in social work. It, it wasn't. Uh, it really wasn't instantiated into the uh, into the code of ethics until until this century, um, and, and so so you know uh, ethnic diversity, racial diversity, uh, sexual diversity. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of elements of diversity, but it seems to me that the viewpoint diversity is one of those that that is probably the most critical. <laughs> you know. Maybe I'm biased, but but um, there aren't any other books like it. We've we've looked, we've we've tried to find uh, some, um, but um, and and that's why we're we're gathering these these authors, and we'll we'll probably you know take a, a, an approach we where we're going to have to do quite a bit of editing so that it, a publisher can kind of see what it is that we're trying to do. Um, our, our initial attempt they, they couldn't quite see they they didn't have our our lens to see the coherence of what it is that we were trying to say. And so, so, uh, but, but we have just a number of, of great people um, who not only have the philosophy and the, the first principles, but are out doing the work. They're out doing the work of helping people dialogue across differences and figure things out and engage in, in, uh, in civility and civil discussions and, 
and you know challenge one another, but but learn from each other as well. And I think uh, I think we're we're uh, I think the world will get better once we uh, you know once we start to to emphasize some of those skills. And the, the book is uh, has been kind of a magnet for that, and and we're looking forward to to making it go forward. That's great. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say hold my drink and the conversation gets real.